0: From India's Largest Newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast. Just a note, this is the last episode of the Times of India podcast for this year. We'll be back in 2023 with new episodes, stories and ideas. We hope you and your loved ones have a lovely festive season and we'll be back with a new episode on the 2nd of January. The Christian community may not be very big in India, but its biggest festival, Christmas, is well-known and celebrated across the country. In India, the Christian community is largely perceived as this sort of single community. But as mythologist and author Devdutt Patnaik points out in today's episode, Christianity had to contend with the existing caste system in India as it attempted to spread. This in turn meant the faith split into various factions or churches over time. Devdutt spoke with my colleague Jairaj Singh and me about how Christianity came to India and how it spread. We also discuss why Christianity didn't get deeper roots in India despite British rule and why the issue of conversion into Christianity remains a thorny one. We are recording this just ahead of Christmas. But Christmas itself, like you point out, is not really its own sort of thing that came out. It's very connected to pagan rituals, which are the very antithesis of what Christianity tells you to follow. Uh, Could you talk about that?
1: So religions usually take motifs, you know. I always tell people that when the story of the nativity talks about Christ, when he's born, uh, it's a night where there are sheep out there. Now, sheep wouldn't be out there on a winter's night. The first question, it would have been most probably during some warmer time, because that's when the uh, you know sheep would be out there. Shepherds would be out there in a warmer time, not in a colder time. So that itself tells you there's something funny about this thing. And you realize these stories have emerged over time Where did the fir tree comes from? Where did the mistletoe come from? Where does the holly come from? They all come from Scandinavian countries, Northern European countries. And clearly these are practices which emerging Christianity reached um, the the Northern part of uh, Europe, which would have happened around the 11th, 12th, 13th century, consolidating itself around 17th, 18th century, and then traveling with it to America People are carrying their local festivals and it's sort of new emerging ideas emerge. Santa Claus is more famous than Jesus Christ right now. Um, clearly a commercial idea, but then it also has this kind of a moral thing. If you're a good boy, I will give you gifts. If you're bad, I will not give you gifts. celebration is there, end of the year. The year is coming to an end. You have shopping, being introduced, food being introduced. You have Hollywood selling this idea that, you know, the Santa Claus, they always talk about Santa Claus. They never talk about Jesus Christ, Santa Claus has become sort of a replacement, a roly-poly and doesn't have the kind of, um, you know, uh, the idea of baby Jesus is also sort of toned down. It's not there. So you find all these, we can call local tribal practices coming in. In India also, I'm sure every Christian community would have different food, have food rituals, uh, practices. Orthodox Christians would not even celebrate in 25th of December. They would celebrate in January because they don't follow the Gregorian calendar. So you have these different schools. <laughs> we find that local practices come into the church. There are these two schools of thought within the church. One is that it, at one time, it was everything had to become a Latin mask and they were trying to... And now increasingly, they're avoiding that and they're trying to... What is called acculturation. Trying to... And so you have these ideas that in India, you have Mother Mary wearing a sari. People... The whole idea of putting flowers and garlands on Jesus Christ's neck, you don't find that in the rest of the world. They have uh, wreaths, but this kind of garlanding and putting lamps is exactly like what Hindus would do. right? Indians connect with that aspect, which you see in South America. The South American Catholic faith absorbs the local tribal cultures. And therefore, that is very different. At a cultural level, uh, Christianity has this melting pot and has to understand that aspect of it.
0: With Christianity, there's this belief that it really came to India with the British. But did it really come with them or did it arrive here earlier? So Christianity has come to India. I mean,
1: the famous legend of St. Thomas and that, you know, he was one of the apostles and he traveled in the eastern direction. And they say he came to India. We don't know where he actually came, but he probably, of course, may have come to Middle East. And um, there are this idea of Nestorian Christians uh, from the Middle East traveling by trade routes to India. And that was a busy trade route from Arabia uh, uh, down to Kerala and the Konkan coast. So there is clearly some evidence of trade happening. And that is the reason why Kerala has... Christian communities, Jewish communities, and Muslim communities, all of them connected to the ports in Arab countries. And this was a very lucrative trade that uh, took advantage of the monsoon winds. This trade route is 4,000 years old, 5,000 years old from Harappan times. So it's not unlikely that Christian ideas would have come to India um, long ago. Christian ideas, Muslim ideas, uh, Jewish ideas. How long ago they came, we do not know. Um, but clearly they came a long time ago. In Kerala, there's a very famous story of them finding a a sailor who had scurvy. He had illness. And um, this local Nair family is supposed to have given him a treatment for scurvy. And in exchange, he gives them uh, coins, which he said were given by his guru and his these coins were used to kill him. And these are the silver coins of which Judas used. Um, and there is this folklore in Kerala which exists um, about Saint Thomas, and that he's probably the one. And there is a family which actually has these coins. And these coins are dated to the time of Jesus Christ. And there's a Tayam, there's a local folk deity um, who is connected with Tomachan, uh, which is, uh, you know, suggests a very old memory connecting uh, Kerala with Christianity. So yeah, the, the connection would be very old. We can argue that these stories emerge later. and But we really don't know their oral traditions. But I would like to believe that India was exposed to Christian ideas
0: almost 2000 years ago. So, you know, I grew up always being called a Protestant because I was in a Catholic school. And we didn't know how to categorize people who were non-Catholics. And then later you discover there is this separate category in India called an Indian Christian, which is outside of these global binaries of Catholicism and Protestantism. You know, could you talk about the various forms of Christianity in India and how they kind of differ? It's complicated because it's one thing that we
1: we forget that um, in um, there are so many denominations in Christianity globally. And when they come to India, they have to intermingle with the idea of caste. So we would like to put them all in one category called the Christians, but it's not as simple as that. Officially, the first form of Christianity which comes to India in a way would be the uh, Catholic Church which comes to Goa which comes with Vasco da Gama. It obviously comes to also Kerala. It also comes, and that's the you know very official form. And it is very violent. It hates the Muslims because it is they call them the Moors. And they see India as a land ruled by the Moors. And um, they want to control the seas. So they are in a way facing this violent activity of these Catholic church, which comes through the Portuguese to Goa. And to the land, the Dutch is bringing a different kind of Christianity, right? They're coming with the Protestant. The British come with the Anglican faith. So the Anglican Church is sort of a somewhere between Protestant and uh, Catholic, which is because it owes allegiance to the King of England. And then there is the Orthodox Church. The Orthodox Church, which is connected to Alexandria, um, uh, Egypt, um, Russia. So the Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox Church, also has a connection, especially in Kerala, where you do find a lot of, um, you know, um, Greek Orthodox Church. And then in Kerala, there are so many denominations, and clearly they seem to be aligning with some kind of a caste or community groupings. I think uh, people would like to understand how it all starts, and it's quite complex, really. You know, 2000 years ago, there's Jesus Christ, but there's no church as such. There is just his apostles and it's just an idea in Judea, which is what is called Israel today. The idea slowly spreads through his apostles to different parts of the world and different churches emerge around the Mediterranean. The most important being the one in uh, really it's Alexandria and Antioch. Antioch is in Turkey, Alexandria is in Egypt. Um, these are major churches that are emerging, but Rome becomes important because that's the center of the Roman Empire. And by about 1600 years ago, the Roman emperor becomes Christian. And that's when the church in a way officially emerges, although they'll argue that it started with Jesus Christ. But, you know, you become politically powerful when the when the, emperor, the Roman emperor becomes Christian. And that's really when Christianity really becomes a, Political force, which was unknown in the world. And people don't realize that religion was never a political lever as such. It becomes a political lever when the Roman Empire becomes Christian and they use Christianity to control the Mediterranean region by rejecting the old secular ways. Um, And that's the first time you have this idea of false gods being imposed by the emperor. The world changes dramatically. And it's one of the biggest, it's. the world changes so dramatically and we keep forgetting that that's a very important period in history where religion and state become one. And that's happened 1,600 years ago in the Mediterranean region, thanks to the Roman emperors. Then about 1,400 years ago, you have Islam emerging and challenging this sudden might of Christianity, which was going really powerful across the Mediterranean. And Islam comes about 1,400 years ago and sort of stops and becomes this major force. And there is this kind of a tension happening with the Persian regions and the Northern Africa uh, becoming Muslim. Now you have this idea of Europe emerging. The Northern part of the Mediterranean becomes Christian and the Southern part becomes Muslim. And this is the way world we know today. I mean, the the match took place when Morocco is uh, fighting France is really a, was projected in many places as a fight between Christianity and Muslims. And it's something that, you know, suddenly the history emerges in a very strange way. You're like, oh, you never thought of it, but that's true. There it is right today. So now Europe has become Christian. And then around, you know, um, a thousand years ago, you have the great crusades when the Europeans want to take over uh, Jerusalem back. And that's the real time when if you go to Israel today, you find all these churches associated with where Jesus was crucified, all these ideas emerged only a thousand years ago. They're recreations. Nobody really knows where it happened. But a thousand years ago, all these people had visions and dreams and they decided, okay, this is what happens. This is how religion happens around the world. Nothing's unique about it. But all these sites associated with Jesus starts appearing a thousand years ago because it's part of the pilgrim trade. Very much like the way Ramayana sites are appearing every day in Sri Lanka. As the tourism boom happens, you suddenly find the Ramayana sites appearing across Sri Lanka. That's exactly what happens in Israel. What is happening now is that the Roman Empire is going through a bad phase. And the Roman Emperor shifts base to Byzantium. Instead of Rome. So now the state and the church have sort of separated physically. And that gives rise to the Orthodox Church, which is the Byzantine Church. And the Roman Church is sort of independent of the state and is becoming powerful in its own right. So you have this church in a way effectively splitting. So now the word Catholic is not used. Catholic just means universal and everybody's. So there is this kind of everybody is Catholic. All is fine until about 500 years ago, lots of things happened. First of all, the Christians are decisively defeated and Byzantium is torn down by the Ottomans and the Muslims take over the entire Middle East. The second thing that happens is um, the Byzantine emperor moves towards Greece and eventually towards Russia and is sort of completely split of the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church is now the most powerful body. The third thing that is happening is the um, scientific revolution is taking place. New ideas are emerging. People are realizing what is being taught in the Bible is not the truth completely. The world is not finite. The earth goes around the sun. All those ideas are emerging. Um, The world, they're discovering continents which are not mentioned in the Bible. And therefore they're saying, how can the Bible be true? So there's this new rational scientific, humanistic enlightenment emerging in Europe. And this creates the Protestant revolution. And you have this new way of thinking, saying that, you know what, what the church is telling you is not true. And the church is for the first time challenged. And then you have now a new religion emerging called Protestant faith and Europe is torn by it. There are wars, there is like real terrible wars in France, in England, in Germany, and these nations are emerging. So 500 years ago, Europe is going through a major change. And then America is being discovered. Southern part of America is being controlled by the Catholics, the Northern part by the Protestants. Now, what is happening meanwhile in India? When the uh, South America is being controlled by the Spanish and the Portuguese people, that's when the Portuguese come to India. That's really when Christianity in a form comes to India. And you have the Spanish Inquisition being imposed in Goa. And even today, especially during election time, all the um, Hindutva parties will talk about the Inquisition. We must understand that the first uh, Bible in an Indian language was written by the Portuguese. It was called Christopurana in Konkani. So that's the first time that the Bible was translated in Indian language. So it was a kind of a gentler approach to um, introducing Christ to the people. But then it changes within 100 years as Portuguese becomes more and more powerful, they become, the inquisition comes in. It's very brutal. And, you know, Goa has this unique thing called the Christian Brahmins, upper caste men who ha- control a lot of land who were told if you convert, we will give you legal papers and the eldest son can therefore inherit the property. So, inheritance laws were connected with legitimacy, were connected with Christianity. And they used the documentation route to get people to convert. It's also when the Devadasis were sort of kicked out because they were seen as harlots and evil and the temples were taken over. So that's a real story which happens in the 16th century, 17th century. British are not that powerful at that time. Their missionaries are not that powerful. The British become powerful only in the 19th century. 1757, Battle of Placid takes place. The British are now becoming powerful. The missionaries are coming and they want to sort of, um, you know, the hand in glove with the East India Company and they're saying, while you are looking for treasures, we are looking to harvest souls. And that is when the new churches start to emerge. The Anglican churches come into India, not the Protestant. I'm not 100, quite sure how the Orthodox churches came to Kerala and how they connected with the Greeks and did it happen in the 19th century? I'm not sure about that. Um, that maybe a scholar would be able to, but I know that this Protestant movement comes and this intersection of caste and religion appears, Christian denominations and Indian caste system starts to play its games. And Christianity is sort of coming in this interesting way because 1857 happens and that's where, you know, the missionary activity really gets a jolt because um, Indians were really upset with the missionary movements that were happening, the Jesuit missionaries coming in. They came with education, right? they came with education and they said, we have to be literate but when the 1857 uprising took place, the British Crown was very clear that they are here to administer the country and basically plunder its wealth. And religion is not important; religion is not priority. So religion takes a back seat. Uh, in a way, they said we don't want to deal with this tension. We don't want to deal with this religious. Uh, so they use the secular card um, in a way. Um, but you know. There was always education was allowed and they brought in education system. And there was always this, there's always been this tension is um, do they convert, do they not convert? But something interesting happens in the 20th century. What happens is you now have Christian denominators which are run by entrepreneurs. And that's an American Christianity. And American Christianity is something that we must uh take cognizance of because it is based not on large denominations like Greek Orthodox or Catholic or Anglican church or Baptist church or Methodist church. This is a new form of Christianity, which is called the charismatics, the Pentecostals. And these are emerging in the late 20th century. And in many ways, it mirrors what is happening in India. You know, in India, as it becomes too liberal and too secular, there was a backlash and you have this rise of an extreme right wing movement, uh, which is celebrates like Vedas are better than science. It's almost the same mirroring happens in America in the early 20th century. Protestants sort of aligned with science. They aligned with enlightenment. They aligned with humanism, with liberalism. And they sort of downplayed the magical elements which are there in the gospels. And they said, okay, let's that's not important. The magic, let's look at the teachings. And they made it very humanist. And that was a backlash. And that's when you have this new form of Christianity emerging to talk about the Holy Spirit, which can heal you, uh, do miracles, give, bring you, make you rich. So prosperity theology. And that is now spreading across India. That's become because they are, it's entrepreneurial, right? It's, it's you make money out of it. There's a lot of money to be made out of it. And we all know Babas in India have done this for a long time. We know that charismatic gurujis have been in, in India for the last two, 300 years with their own little followings and cults across India, which was not a phenomena, well, say 500 years ago. It was not there. Then you have of course, Northeast India, which was not part, like nobody knew anything about Northeast India uh, until really the, you know, these missionary activities from all denominations, mostly American. You can see the influence is far more great of these American Christianity coming, coming there and creating a new world where the the tribal communities are suddenly now part of a larger Christian community. And Northeast India is large amounts of people over there. There is the Hinduism in parts of Assam, Manipur, Arunachal Pradesh, but the the rest of it, there seems to be a very strong Christian influence. And that makes them part of a larger community, which was not there. They were otherwise tribal. So, I mean, this is, as you see, the history of the world and the history of India's Christianity is complex which we don't know nobody teaches us this is not part of common discourse
0: but you know like you mentioned the british kind of stepped away from pushing christianity despite having a very kind of obvious reason to do it also and like you said there were a lot of missionaries who came in especially after 1857 um do you do you really see any reason why christianity didn't grow to the extent despite a state that wouldn't have really, you know, stopped people from converting. I think state did
1: not... Permit active conversion. That was they said. We don't want a political uh, storm. 1857 was too much to handle. It was a very difficult touch and go situation. And also remember, the 1857 was done by a private company, and then the new state came in, and they said we will separate. And that's when the idea of state and religion separating itself comes in. Secularism as an idea becomes more important. So while they allowed the missionaries to build hospitals and schools, and that is how we really see in Bollywood films especially, whenever they will show a nurse, they will show her as a Catholic with a big cross around the neck. And then you have this uh, teacher, the moment you talk about teachers, it will become a missionary, a padri. One of the reasons why Arya Samaj established schools, Ramakrishna mission established schools, Chinmaya mission established schools, was because they realized education was being controlled primarily by Christians and they felt there should be an alternate. And it's one of the things that I always tell people is that um, technically Christianity was anti-science, right? But yet the schools and colleges created the world's best scientists. They taught science. So in a way, there were movements even within the church to introduce science, into the lives of people, they came through these um, church-sponsored. In a way, you know, I am sure there were tensions within the clerical hierarchy that you are teaching them uh, science and these are the and teaching them critical thinking and you are teaching them arguments and they are going to work against us, like creating a basmasur, like who will come and and I think that must have been quite a challenge. Uh, um, so there are these complex stories with Christianity. Unfortunately, today, when people talk of Christianity, they're really talking about born again, Christian uh, communities, those kind of videos that we see about healing, the blind can see. This is all 20th century phenomena, very American, entrepreneurial Christianity is what I call it. Um, Very different from the older things. People cherry pick these things that are happening.
0: Do we know how, um, say, Hinduism perceives Christianity? We know that, you know, Christianity looks at all the other religions, older religions like Hinduism as paganism. How do our texts see the other religions?
1: So the thing is, Hinduism doesn't have the concept of false god. This idea doesn't exist. I always tell people that, you know, we have to be taught to reject religion. For a politician, it's very dicey. Because uh, I can get into a church and feel completely comfortable in a church. I can feel comfortable in a mosque. Because there is nothing in Hinduism which tells you it's not part of your faith. Because it's there is no the words inclusive and exclusive doesn't come in. It's just not there. It's there in Christianity, then Islam is there in Judaism. I mean, I remember when I went to Israel for a lit fest, um, all there were these churches where we would all go. But the only lady who did not come into the church was one who was an Indian Jewish person. She refused to enter the church saying, no, I will not enter the church. And we were like, we were all taken aback because even the Muslims amongst us like, come, 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 let's go. So nobody, it's even uh, you know uh, that even now it's this whole idea that you know muslims are feeling a little awkward because now there is definition through division you know you this is a very new phenomena which even i am you know we are trying to grapple with this where you are de- where you are being told this is not hindu it's something which didn't exist but i think the world it becomes a global vocabulary you're defined by rejection right that's how the nation states were designed 200 years ago, nobody thought like that, right? It's, so it's a, it's this the Western model of you, you can be something by rejecting something. And this is, we don't realize, this is the meta structure, which is global right now. It was there in religious spaces, it also comes into secular spaces. And therefore, the tragedy is if a Muslim person says that I'm atheist, we don't want to accept that. We are like, no, 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 your name is Muhammad or something like that. And therefore you must be, and therefore I'll put you in this box. And therefore now I define Hinduism through Islamophobia. I'll define Hinduism by rejecting the church. You know, I always tell people, I went to a missionary school uh, and I taught, I was taught Ramayana and Mahabharata there. My exposure to Ramayana and Mahabharata comes from Mrs. Lobo and Mrs. Fernandez. And I mean, I have photos showing me doing Eklavya school, in school. <laughs> Eklavya performance, OLPS. So it's as Catholic as they come. Uh, so we never thought about uh, religion in a, in this, the way we teach today. I'm talking, of course, about 40 years ago. That was the times, right? 1970s, 80s, where you try to do Sarva Dharma, everybody's equal. And really... Um, it's today. I think I don't know. It. I think it's different today. Today, one is conscious of it. I, now I'm seeing this hijab thing coming up, and, um, or the Sikhism. You know, the binding of the turban, and you start realizing that these are complex things. And then this definition through. Um, Separation. This I isolate myself. These are twentieth-century phenomena, and it starts, as I said, with the Roman uh, Empire. It started there. I mean, this whole idea of false gods have to be broken. This was not there before. It was never there.
0: So in India, I mean, you you're saying this, but we at a time where there is this firm belief that many pastors and churches across India are converting people either forcibly or through allurements and things like that. How do you view things like the state getting involved in whether people should convert or not? See, that becomes a political thing, right?
1: Because it is also about vote banks. And it is about, um, see, this becomes the complex narrative, right? First of all, we decided the tribal community has been living there for thousands of years, very happily. We have decided and gone and decided that they are poor and therefore they need financial help. We have decided they are unskilled and therefore have decided to teach them new skills. We have decided to send them to schools where they are taught languages that they never knew. They taught ideas that they are not familiar with. Um, so at a, forget about religion, the whole idea that we are engaging with the tribal community how do you do that is the question. In the Hindu faith, there is no rejection of the tribal gods. And it's very easy to, you know, in a way, we can use the word appropriate, acculturate, whatever word you use. There is no rejection of anything, there is a kind of an assimilation of it. But that is not true in Christianity and Islam. And that is where the problem comes. It is not that this and that is allowed. It is only this shall be allowed. And that is where the real tension comes from. Christianity in India has many local practices, uh, the worship of Mary. If you go to um, Goa, you find many rituals which are sort of acculturing. But what has happened is, uh, the, uh, especially with this entrepreneurial schools of um, Christianity going across, this new wave which says that these are, de- where they actually have books which will say that Ram and Krishna are devil worshippers, blue gods, this is devil worship. Now, these kind of things um, definitely will upset people and it leads to clashes and arguments. And rather than creating a kind of an Indian Christianity, which is, I think recently there's a book published uh, on Indian Christianity, which talks about, you know, which uh, things which happen organically versus these new forms. And your identity comes by rejecting your past and rejecting your relatives and rejecting. And you see, I have some of my friends who are born again and you see their language and you're like, oops, this is going to get into trouble because there is this contempt for their own past, contempt for their neighbors. It comes with a sense because it is also about giving pride to you. And I think that is a uh, volatile space and it is going to be, politicians are going to take advantage of that. You have someone coming and saying that, you know, Diwali is a pagan festival and should not be worshipped. A person who like one year ago was doing it themselves. You're like, wait a minute, what's going on? This is brainwashing happening. And um, that's where the conversion thing gets into real trouble. And you take 10 cases like that and you have a political case. It was not so, say, in 200, 300 years ago when this was happening organically. it It's when the state gets involved, when it becomes about rules, when it comes, it's what happened in Goa with the Inquisition. Pre-Inquisition, the conversions were very subtle. They were very um, graded and organic. And Christ is one of the many deities that you worship, which is now, that's why in many tribal areas where there is, the, they sort of don't try to over- uh, they try to make sure the local culture survives. Um, it's Northeast India, they're very strong. They're trying very hard to make sure the local tribal culture survives and is not replaced by a kind of an Americanism. So I think that sensitivity has come in, but, you know, not everybody is that sensitive.
0: Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe, and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on Plus, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at toipodcast at timesinternet.in.